Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 452, Finding a Workplace Where You Can Thrive with Valerie Rivera. I would just say I create workplace cultures where people thrive. Mm. I want people to love what they do every day. And the main reason is because we bring our stress from work home to our families. And if we are happy at work, we come home happy, which means we have more to give to our communities, our families, our friends. And I think that's that's Take Back Work's little way of changing, changing the world in a positive way. Well, my guest today, Valerie, left active duty after 15 years of service and has gone on to found a company designed to help people thrive at work. In addition to discussing her own journey, we talk about how to find out if a culture is right for you, how to shift your mindset to be happier at work, how to make sure you're living a life of alignment and more. Today's episode originally aired all the way back in 2019 as episode 286, but I felt it was relevant to every job seeker today in our military community because she touches on topics that are applicable across the board. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discuss, as well as 451 other episodes just like this one. So with that, let's dive in to my conversation with Valerie. Well, joining me today in Omaha, Nebraska, my guest is Valerie Rivera. Val, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Thank you, Justin. I'm so excited to be here. So for listeners, wanted to give you some quick rundown on Val. She's the founder and CEO of Take Back Work, whose mission is to partner with organizations of all stripes to create workplace cultures where people thrive. She served for over six years in the Air Force, most recently as team leader for tradecraft development and capability integration. She earned her MBA at Stanford Business School and has two twins who I believe are 14 years old. Is that right? Yes. That's awesome. Well, um, Val, um, maybe to start things off, uh, walk us through, you know, when you left the Air Force, what your decision process was like and what that first job search was like. Absolutely. So I would say that I'm, I'm a late bloomer. Hmm. And it took me many years of being in the Air Force to realize what I was good at. So while I enlisted as a linguist, translating wasn't necessarily my forte. It wasn't what I loved doing. Instead, I found myself translating things like change to people so that they would want to get interested in the newer ways of doing things. And um, as I started reading books and things like that, I realized that I really wanted to focus on workplace culture. So at this time, when my enlistment was up, I had 15 years of active duty service in the Air Force, which for anybody that served knows that that's a really tough decision because you're super close to retirement. Um, and I realized at the same time that if I didn't make the leap, then I might not have the same kind of passion or, um, confidence that I needed to leave at that point. So I felt like I was on top of my air force game and it was time to launch myself out into the world. So it was, it was definitely a struggle. You can ask my husband crazy times in the Rivera household. (laughs) I, what I love about that is, um, first of all, I love that judo move of translating of, of taking you know translating languages to translating something completely different you know it's kind of like it's an interesting framework because when you say it it makes sense it's like oh in essence you're taking you know things in one 
my, you know, one framework and translating it for, to, to another, but that could be applied to so many things. And I think that a lot of the listeners that I speak with, sometimes the mentality is, I did X in the military, how can I do X in the civilian workforce? And you're a great example of, of taking foundational elements of what you did in the military and then applying it in a wildly different capacity on the other side. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's really interesting when you think of it that way too. Yep. So what led you to, and I, and I think also it's incredible for listeners to hear, you know, 15 years, that is, that is a stone's throw away from retirement. And I think we're often indoctrinated to think like, okay, you got to go, you got to go for it. You got, oh, you got 15 years and you have to do 20. And I love that calculus of saying, you know what, I think I have more to gain by making the transition. We're all very unique people. We're all very unique design. We have unique desires. And so maybe that 20 framework doesn't work for listeners. And I, I think that that takes a lot of courage to leave behind that certainty and to, to jump into the unknown. Absolutely. I think my husband would say it takes a little bit of craziness. To- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. So what led you to, you went to directly to business school. How did that, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Well, you know, as I started reading books, especially about people things, whether it was Adam Grant books or Daniel Pink books, I realized that there were people going to business school who had this idea of a higher purpose, of wanting to make that dent in the universe. That's what I had thought of previously, which is all about making money. And I realized that maybe there could be a place for me at business school, especially as I wanted to start my own company and had zero experience. Um, So the idea to go and get my MBA was really about gaining some business knowledge and background, getting the kind of network that I needed to help me find clients, and then also getting a little bit of credibility. Because as an enlisted service member, you know, I I do have to say, like, if I had just gone out there with no degree, I think people would have been a little more skeptical of my capabilities. But the degree has served me really well. So definitely a good choice on my part. That's great. And for longtime listeners, you know, I went to the business school at Stanford as well. And I would agree 100% on on the three things that you very crisply articulated, the network, the credibility and the knowledge. I think that those have been helpful in my own entrepreneurial journey. And um, I know for listeners, I'll put in the show notes, I, I think the question often comes up of business school or not business school or grad school versus not grad school. We're not going to really delve into that uh, on this interview, but know that that'll be in the show notes. Um, so Take us back to, is there a specific moment where Take Back Work was born? Or when, when, when do you uh, pinpoint the conception of that as an idea? Okay, so this is actually a really crazy story. So I'm very glad you asked this question. Mm-hmm. So it came about when I actually discovered design thinking and I thought it was the coolest thing. And I wanted to introduce my Air Force you know, airmen to it as well. And I ended up getting a cease and desist order from my commander, which was really like a whoa kind of moment. And I realized it was difficult for people to share their ideas and to feel safe in the workplace being innovative, which is something the Air Force wanted in the first place. So um, I ended up partnering with a future commander to focus on getting the culture right so we could be innovative the way the Air Force needed us to be, the way the country needs us to be, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. And she totally bought into it. So we didn't focus on like shiny things, we didn't buy 3D printers, but culture came first, making sure people knew what their purpose was at work 
that they had ways to master their skills and also got a little bit of freedom and flexibility. So um, when we did that, amazing things happened. And I realized that if I could make this happen and partner with leaders and create that kind of workplace culture where people thrive in the military as a tech sergeant, as an E6, like I should be doing this on the outside as well. Like I need to be able to make that kind of impact. And so we just went on from there and that's when the idea crystallized. And I'm so glad I got that cease and desist order looking back. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's just wild to think of. Uh, I mean, that to me seems like the epitome of um, having a dream, pursuing it with just all out vigor and then just face planting into a wall. And I put myself in that position and I feel like um, at various points in my life, I, I might have just let it leave there. I might just kind of say like, okay, this isn't for me. And what I love in the resilience of your story is saying, okay, let's learn from this and let's find some more fertile soil for this. The, the idea and the intention is pure and let's just figure out where it fits in better. And um, I think that for listeners who have listened to any entrepreneurial story, you know that there's, it's, I've never met someone where they have an idea and it just takes off. And, and I think that that's a very tangible example. You're giving us Val, you're giving us some candor here of like really getting some stiff pushback and not letting that it's sorry to be long winded here, but it's like, it's not, it's not about not letting it deter you. Cause it's not like you're like, screw that cease and desist order. I'm going to keep on doing this. It's like you're, you're, you're taking the feedback and you're learning from it and you're, you're improving and moving forward. And sometimes I think we talk about just like, well, I'm going to keep on doing it. And that, that, not, that might not be the answer. You're absolutely right. Like feedback is a gift as they say. Mm -hmm. And the feedback I got from that instance was, Hey, you're not really articulating what's in it for this commander, what's in it for the unit. I was just kind of like, here's a good idea, let's go, without realizing all of the pressures and other things this person was facing. So when I went to the next commander, I had done my homework, done my research, and I was able to clearly articulate the, you know, the value proposition to her. And that's when it clicked, that's when it worked. Mm, that's great. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this in your story, but, um, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is like, man, man, change is hard. You know, to affect change is, is really hard. I, I was having a conversation with a friend, actually a business school friend a couple of days ago. And I was saying, I'm like, man, I've been doing meditation and month long retreats for, you know, half a decade. I do all this personal work. I do men's group. I do all these things. And sometimes I'm so humbled because I'm like, I don't feel like I've improved as a person at all. And my, you know, one of my takeaways from that conversation is like, that's, that's what it takes. Like change is so hard. It's so hard to affect a change in an individual or an organization. It really takes, you know, you, you hinted at, it takes a cultural change. It takes, you know, planting seeds in the bedrock of an organization or a person that take a while to be able to sprout and germinate. And so, you know, walk us through, you have this idea while it sounds like still on active duty. How does this idea morph or change through business school? I'm hesitating there for a second because I don't know that it really changed. <laughs> yeah. I made mm. sure to explore different things and, mm. um, and keep my aperture open for mm. possibilities, but it all came down to wanting to learn how to speak the lingo of the, the customers, the clients that I wanted to serve. Um, 
but also no, not going hard at it and having a product, like one particular hard and fast product. And I think where um, the business has taken off is that I listen to my clients. You know, each client is different. I don't need to necessarily put together this silver, gold, and platinum package, which is something that they might teach you in business school. But, um, but really, really honing in on what's going to move the needle for them. And so that's why I'm always coming up with new things for the business. It's just, it's constantly growing, changing, evolving. The more I learn, the more I'm, I'm adapting and adding new things. And I think that's, that's why we've been able to get this far this fast. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's say that you were to bump into uh, a fellow service member or someone who served in the military and they said, Val, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that? Okay, so like fast forwarding years in the future? Yeah, today, I, today. Okay, so it's simple. I would just say I create workplace cultures where people thrive. Mm. I want people to love what they do every day. And the main reason is because we bring our stress from work home to our families. And if we are happy at work, we come home happy, which means we have more to give to our communities, our families, our friends. And I think that's, that's take back work's little way of changing changing the world in a positive way. I, I love that. And for listeners, I think that there's going to be two things, you know, to try, try to listen to here for, first of all, is like the incredible entrepreneurial journey that Val has been on. But also I think that every single person who listens to this podcast wants to find a career or a home or a work environment where they thrive, where they feel alive. And honestly, in 260 plus interviews, there's, there's not a lot of people I meet with who are on fire for what they do in the world. So maybe let's, let's start there. Like what is, I know that you said you kind of really listen to your clients and, and you're doing some jujitsu to kind of be flexible and meet where they need. What are some examples of, of the type of work that you do or how you help them create these workplaces where people can thrive? Right, so I think the most satisfying one that I've been doing is offsites. Mm. And we all do them, right? So. One of the things I've discovered in this entrepreneurial journey is nobody's really like Googling workplace culture. How can I get some services to this culture? Because it's deeply personal to whoever that client is. And sometimes it feels like if you're not, if your culture's not right, there's probably something wrong with you as a leader. Hmm. And that's not the vibe that we want to get after. Culture is hard and it's made up of so many different pieces. But people frequently have offsites, organizations have offsites. And that's the perfect opportunity for somebody like me to come in who has the business background and the knowledge of strategy and all the ways these things fit together. But then we layer social science and psychology on top of that to say, hey, if you're doing an offsite, you're probably trying to change something. So how do we put the business side of your house in order? And then how do we also work at the same time on the people side so that this change you're plotting and planning actually comes to fruition in a less painful way. Mm. The, how do you, how did you prepare to do that? Cause I'm just putting myself in that position of like, that's, that's a big undertaking to walk into a group of people who have worked together, who know each other, who have decades of experience and to walk in and not only say, I can help you improve the business side, but then I can also help with the complex wiring that is psychology and everything that goes into the, the, you know, the rubs that turn into bruises that make us agitated and, and really dislike working with someone else. How do you come in or how have you prepared yourself 
to go into that crazy environment and be able on the fly. It's not like you're going away for two weeks and thinking about this. Like, how are you able to kind of in that moment pinpoint what needs to be done? Right. So I've learned from some incredible mentors. And one of the things one has, um, one in particular has taught me is the value of really talking to the people in an organization before you do the offsite. So for me, the process looks a lot like talking to that, that major stakeholder, whoever that person is, and getting a sense of what their aim is. What do they want to achieve after the end of this one or two day session? And then I ask for a list of names. Can you tell me about five to 10 people that I could talk to that represent different levels of the organization, different perspective, different pain points? And so then I interview those people and then I can compare and contrast the key stakeholders themes with the themes that I'm seeing from the broader workforce. And then once I agree with the key stakeholder, like what are we really gonna focus on the offsite? That's when we start developing what, those, what that time together will look like. I, I, and I bet you're uncovering some pretty major blind spots, right? You probably have a leader saying like, hey, this is what it's like to be in our company. And then you talk to people that work there and it's a very different experience. Like I imagine there's these glaring differences. Exactly. Sometimes I don't know there's this big obstacle. And if we can surface that during the offsite and I can be there as a facilitator helping the discussion unfold in a productive way, I just feel like organizations get a lot further. And having that outsider in there makes it so it's not on any one person's shoulders who's like in the thick of things, getting raided by some of the people in the room. So I can swoop in, help, and then come back out too. <laughs> have you have you noticed any trends? Like have you, because you've worked with a lot of very different organizations. Is there any overlap in terms of like, these are things that, that companies approach in a wrong way or kind of common faults that lead to a less than optimal work environment? Right. So I've worked for both governments and corporate clients mm -hmm. and across the board, I'd say the number one thing is communication. So whereas there's communication rubs between people leading up to the event, sometimes even afterwards, they can be on like cloud nine with everything we've done, but communicating that out in a strategic way to the rest of the organization often goes overlooked. Mm. How do you, how do you address that then? Do you help with kind of the packaging of the message of like, let me help you take what you're feeling right now and all of this energy and excitement and let's put this in a way where if someone wasn't here, they can understand it. Exactly. So the ideal scenario for me is that I don't just have these one-off engagements with the client, but that we form a relationship over time where we can help with the communications plan going forward. We can um, do group and individual coaching because there's going to be different levels of obstacles. Like, like you said, no change management kind of encounter is, just goes off without a hitch. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of there as a cheerleader throughout that year, making sure that people are accountable to what they said they wanted to do for their organization and also helping them figure out how do we get around some of the, the things that creep up as this whole thing unfolds. Mm, that's great. Can you, um, can you usually ask this later in the interview, but um, you mentioned books that were really influencing you. I always like to ask about resources and I'm kind of just curious what um, books or conferences or workshops or trainings have helped you that, that listeners may want to look at. Right. Absolutely. Like this is one of my favorite questions because as you can tell, I have a lot of books <laughs> behind me. Mm. 
But the one that really, first of all, the tipping points by Malcolm Gladwell was incredible. It got me off on this journey of reading. It was just so fascinating. It was all about how different change or um, different things catch fire, whether it's an epidemic, whether it's a trend, something like that. So I learned a lot about people through that book. And then Daniel Pink's book, Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us, that was super influential because he talked about intrinsic motivation and people often feeling like they don't have that purpose, that mastery or autonomy in their work lives. And what really clicked for me while reading this book was that all of the complaints I heard from my airmen as a supervisor in the military fell into one of those three buckets, sometimes more of them. And so that, that just set me off on a whole another level. Mm-hmm. And then um, another book that I really enjoy is Teaming by Amy Edmondson. Uh, she talks all about how it's not just about forming these static teams, but dynamic teams. How do you bring people together for a challenge and set them off on the right foot so that they can get the job done, which I think is more and more prevalent in our work lives. Mm. Another thing I'm, I'm wondering is um, because so many listeners, uh, whether in the, in the military or they've been out for a decade, um, so many aspire to find a job that really excites them and to also, especially coming from the military, I think find that camaraderie, find a group of people who will challenge them to be their best self. Do you have any advice for how one might find that or, or evaluate a company to see like, is this a good fit for me? Right. So I think the first work you need to do is with yourself. And many times people skip this step. Um, So for people that are still in the military, I would say really pay attention to your day to day. What do you enjoy? When does time seem to fly by? Are you around certain people? Are you doing a certain task? And consequently, are there times when you're around certain people that, you know, this just sucks. (laughs) Like figure that out and try and optimize for the stuff you're enjoying. And you will, it's like, it's like a lighthouse in the fog. Mm -hmm. You're in the fog. You don't know what you love to do yet, but look for that beacon and just get closer to it and closer to it. And then you'll be able to articulate where you do your best work, with whom you do your best work, how you do your best work. That is so important because if you don't know the answer to that, it's really hard to find the right company for you. But when you do know that answer and then you're going to look at a company, um, I always tell people to ask this one question. You know, your interviewers often at the end, they're like, hey, do you have some questions for us? And my question is, if you had to describe the culture of this company in three words, what would it be? Right. And then listen to those three words and then ask for specific examples of how they'd seen that those particular words come to life in that company. And I think that will give you a good sense of the essence of what it's like to work there. Hmm. Stuff you can't find on a website for the most part. Hmm. What about, um, you know, the idea that you've had has been going on for a while, but the company I think has been around for about a year officially. What advice do you have for listeners who aspire to start their own company? Well, I'm not sure I'm the best purveyor of information, but I'm just learning. Like I'm taking in everything every day. I'm making tons of mistakes and I'm not beating myself up too much. I'm just telling myself, 
you know, hey Val, what'd you learn today when you screwed that up? And then filing that away. I just discovered that I could get everybody's advice in the world, but I need to make my mistakes first and learn from them. And that's my own kind of strategy. Figure out what that is for you. You know, and also if you want to do something like what I'm doing and it's hard to figure out how to make it happen, like how do you actually put the pedal to the metal? Don't be afraid to be a 1099 contractor for somebody who's doing similar work. That actually, I think, has helped me the most in learning um, whether it's how to write a statement of work, how to um, engage with the client, that sort of thing. I didn't learn that in business school. I learned that by working with somebody who was willing to help me learn on the job. Mm. Could you share more about that? That's great. I haven't heard that insight before. And I love the thought of, because um, what I imagine, if you're a 1099 contractor, you're getting paid and you're doing something, but you're, you're doing it for a personal organization. So I'm like, that, that's actually fantastic. You're getting paid to learn from someone who knows what they're doing and you're adding value. Could you share a little bit more what that experience has looked like? Yeah. So first of all, it started with a few coffee dates, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But when I found this company and these um, people that I was happy to work with, basically what it looks like is this. They have a big client, some kind of big project, and they need some help or they just like some help. And so they'll tell me, hey Val, here's the client, here's the, the, the time frame that we're looking to need your help, here are the kind of things we need from you, here's what we're willing to pay you, are you game? And for me, that makes it very easy to make the determination. Like I can look at my schedule and see what stuff I have on Take Back Works calendar, making sure those two don't conflict. And then I go and I, I do work with those people and it's great. Um, it's 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 awesome. I'm trying to think of the, I'm blanking on an interview I did recently, but the thought was um, most, most people starting a company, like it takes a while to be able to support both the business and the, the founders financially. And um, rather than, you know, like driving Uber is one ubiquitous option, right? But like what, what Val is talking about is she's uncovered a way to run her business to make ends meet financially, but to do that in a way where she's learning skills that can actually help her in her business. And that's, that's the trifecta right there. I think it's difficult to do, but she's, um, she's been very deliberate in structuring this, this work life in a way that, that she is winning on all three. She's constantly learning and growing and doing it in a way that financially she can, she can achieve keeping all of this going simultaneously, which can be very difficult. Yes, highly recommend, especially because I was living in the Bay Area and it was my responsibility to pay the rent. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is like a a, three hours. jobs to do that, yeah. <laughs> yep. So it was definitely a win-win. Can you also talk about, I know that um, in addition to the contract work and running your company, you're also a board member for the Paradigm Switch, which was um, Lauren Grimshaw and Justine Evers have both been guests on the show. You're also um, leading Bunker Labs. Uh, you're the city lead for Omaha and um, m many people from Bunker Labs have been on Beyond the Uniform. Could you talk, uh, like Todd Connor, Seth Jordan, et cetera, um, could you talk a little bit about one, like the type of work that you do there, but also how you manage to do all of this. Well, I'm gonna, it's definitely a juggle many times, but the thing that keeps me going is that there's such alignment in the missions of these two organizations, the Paradigm Switch and Bunker Labs. So for the Paradigm Switch, Justine was so just like visionary and thinking she wants to set the right culture from the get-go. 
And so we actually did a sleepover session where we had all the sticky notes all over the place, working on making sure we had the right mission, vision, and values mm. for the paradigm switch as they pivoted. So my work as a board member is, of course, board member things, but also with an, with an eye towards culture. And so right now I'm working on a project with the team to really capture those values and how they are lived at TPS. So, I mean, that's right up my alley and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Total alignment. And the same thing goes with Bunker Labs because I am super passionate about veteran entrepreneurship. I didn't know a lot of veteran entrepreneurs coming out of the military. And my hope is that by being a city lead for Bunker Labs Omaha, which is right down the road from off at Air Force Base, so a huge military presence in the area, is that more transitioning veterans and veterans in the local area will realize that entrepreneurship can be something for them and that they'll have the community and the, the knowledge to maybe take the leap the way I did. That's great. That's great. I just, I'm really um, astounded by the amount of alignment that you've baked into your life where it just seems like everything is pushing in a similar direction. And, and sometimes I feel torn in lots of different directions. And it's frustrating because like you want to achieve a purpose or a goal. And so I admire how you've taken your side projects and pursuits and advisory capacities and all of them have a similar thread, which is, which is really cool because it it's, it's, you're maximizing your energy. You're really um, amplifying the effort of what you, what you're doing. Thanks. Yeah. It feels like that. It's still, it's still hard sometimes, but it, I'm working on saying no. And so if something doesn't align, then it gives me the opportunity to say, "Eh, you know, I've got other opportunities that are better aligned with what I'm after. So that's great. That's great. Um, I'm wondering with um, if someone is interested in this sort of work, what, what, what advice do you have for them? Like if they say, look, your mission really gets me excited. I want to, to be about organizational change. I want to be about setting culture. What advice do you have for them about going down that sort of career path? Right. So for me, one of the things I really, really believe in is that each person has the capacity to be what I'm calling a culture catalyst. Somebody, it doesn't matter what level you are in the organization, you can arm yourselves with knowledge and tools to help create those positive workplace cultures, whether it's how you run your team or how you coach and mentor up to different leaders, you can do those things. And the most powerful thing I did, and I know this sounds crazy, but really just comes down to reading books. Because if you're reading books about topics like this, you are gaining access to you know, social science, research, strategies, other things that then you can test out in your workplace and see if it works for you. Because it's really about that life experience and putting into practice what you learn from the books that can give you the portfolio to do something like this going down the road. Um, that's great. Uh, it makes me think one of the guests I had on the show was an author, Cal Newport, who wrote a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And one of his things was, um, you know, he has this concept of career capital. And his, his premise is, rather than looking for your passion, whatever you're doing right now, do the best you can, build up career capital, get good at it. And what I'm loving about that is whether listeners are on active duty or whether they've been out for 20 years, the thought of like, hey, wherever you're at, 
you can start to read books that inform you and you can start to experiment in your work with that. You can start to try what you're learning. And I love that loop of, you know, seeking knowledge, seeking ways to improve, applying it wherever you're at and just kind of keeping that as this continuous process. And I think that that's, that's something that listeners, no matter where they're at right now, you could do that today. You can order a book, you can buy it online, you can read it and you can start to, to play with it. And I, I think what's great about your example, Val, is you're not portraying this image of, I read a book, I, I applied it and nailed it onto the next thing. You're, you're very candid about, you know, you've made mistakes along the way, you learn from those mistakes, you don't beat yourself up. And that's the only way to, to try to do this for the long term is to create these learning cycles where you can make mistakes, you can get beat up, you can try again and learn and iterate and improve. I think that's a really, really compelling part of your story. Thanks. I hope it. I hope it helps other people think. Like, yeah, sure. You're not gonna just hit it out of the park mm-hmm. on day one. It's yep. A constant journey. Um, I know that I fast forwarded your story, and I'm I'm wondering what else you'd want listeners to know between, uh, you know, getting out of the Air Force, going to business school, and where you're at today. What does that journey look like as an entrepreneur? Gosh, I think it's the the biggest, twistiest, turniest journey. Ever. In fact, I was just listening to NPR this morning and there was an author on there who wrote a book about late bloomers. And I know I used that phrase earlier and it's because it's sticking in my mind that, you know, sometimes you feel like if you don't have, if you don't know where you're going in your twenties, like where's life taking you? But I was really pushing 30 by the time everything clicked. And with how much stress people are under to attain these crazy kinds of goals, I think it's important to honor your own journey, whether that's being an early bloomer, a late bloomer, or somewhere in between, really just always honing in on what's going to bring you happiness, what's going to magnify your impact to the world in the best way. Um, And that actually helped me decide to leave the Air Force too. This is kind of like tangential, but I think sometimes, especially when you're within a large organization, it's so easy to think about the context of you and what you bring to the world, like in a very curtailed way. Like when I was in the Air Force thinking like, if I didn't do what the Air Force told me to do, then I wasn't like doing my best. Mm -hmm. When I realized I had different skills that weren't necessarily captured by this system, and that if I really wanted to live up to my potential, I'd have to get beyond what the Air Force thought was best and think about what would be best for the world. Mm. Which sounds like really crazy and, mm. and whatever, but I don't know. It's, it's, it is interesting, though, because it's, you know, it, particularly in the military, but I imagine in any job, you are working in a closed ecosystem. You're working with closed constraints and where certain things are rewarded, certain things are punished. And there's a very narrow model of what success looks like. And what, what I hear from what you're saying is there are an infinite number of models out there. And if it's the military or maybe your job after the military, if that's not bumper bowling, setting you up for success and thriving, you can find or create the, the organization that will set you up to maximize your potential and maximize your happiness. And that's, that's hopefully liberating for listeners to hear that maybe, maybe where you're at is not the, the best soil for you to grow, but there's, there's going to be it out there to find. Right. I mean, you have to ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you spending your time doing certain things? Why are you choosing 
one thing over another. And I think a really crisp example is a conversation I had with a young airman who came to me to ask, how do I take college classes? Which I thought was great. I was like, yay, college classes. But then I asked her this question. I, asked, I said, why do you want to take a college class? And her answer wasn't to learn or because she was interested in the subject. It was more like, well, I'm in a, you know, a, a career field that's got an overage. And I think if I take a college class, it'll be, I'll be less likely to be force shaped out of the Air Force. Mm. And I was like, let's talk about that. Like, what happens if you get force shaped out? She's like, oh, I don't know. Then I asked her, what did she want to be when she grew up? And she wanted to be like a crime scene investigator, a CSI. But she was working as an executive assistant mm. at the time. And I was like, so how is what you're doing now helping you get to be a CSI? She's like, well, it's not. And I was like, well, if you get four shaped out, you get your GI Bill and you can actually pursue that thing that you say you're passionate about that you want to do. And then she was like, oh. I didn't think of it that way, mm -hmm. but her self-worth was really predicated on what the Air Force thought of her at different times and places, whether she was passing her PT test or that sort of thing. And it hurt me to see her thinking so small about what her potential was. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping that that conversation would maybe just reframe that whole scenario for her. And I think that's mm -hmm. relevant to so many people that are in the system. That's awesome. I know we only have a few minutes left, but um, how, how vital has an advanced degree been to your career path so far? For mine, it's been incredibly helpful. It's made, me, it's made me think bigger. It's exposed me to so many people with different paths that I just, I learned as much from my classmates as I did from classes. Um, but it's, in my particular instance, I, I think it was 100% worth the time and effort. But I do talk to people where they, they're like, hey, I think I want to do this. I think, should I get this degree? And my advice for people is to take a look at what do you really think you'll take out of that degree? And then take a look at what you really think you need to be successful in that career field or that job path. And is there alignment between those? Like maybe, you know, networking was huge for me on, with Take Back Work, but maybe it's not huge for somebody else. So making sure you're going after something that's actually going to help you on your path is crucial. I love that. I love the customized nature of that, that answer. Um, well, I always like to keep the last question open-ended, which is um, either what have we not covered that you want to make sure listeners know, or what do you want to reiterate for listeners before we wrap up? Oh man, I'm the worst at questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would say if, anything about this really intrigues you or you're interested in being a culture catalyst because that's near and dear to my heart, please just send me a note at val at takebackwork.com because I think it's going to take an army for us to create these workplace cultures where people thrive. And if that's something that you want to learn more about or just go on the journey a little bit with me, then that would be phenomenal. And I'm not talking about paid work or that sort of thing. Just just keeping in touch because you never know how our paths might cross. I'm super giving and open about helping people along. So I always welcome email or connections of any sort. Awesome. And uh, for listeners, I'll add that in the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org. But Val, thank you for your example and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks, Justin. It's been a blast. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> 
Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.